The world may be on fire, but there are changemakers that are even more fired up with a commitment to do some serious good. You're listening to People Making Things Better, where we interview folks who you maybe haven't heard of before, but who are having a big impact on today's issues with the environment, equality, human rights, public health, and more. We're not afraid to ask the tough questions about how they're able to do work that the world needs and still get paid for it. Listen in and get inspired because the world needs you in action too. I'm your host, Bert Westfall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Jackson. So Melinda, it sounds like you had an amazing talk and can you just tell me what does this organization do? Yeah, it really was. It was such an awesome conversation. I interviewed two young ladies who started a organization called Beautiful Cleveland, and they spell beautiful B-E and then capital Y-O-U and then T-I-F-U-L. And what they do is they work with young women and they've developed this um, custom curriculum where they help those young women to develop personally, as well as provide additional support systems for them. So um, everything from like academia to like social emotional development. And they really saw a, a need that wasn't being fulfilled. And I think what's really interesting about the two of them is that they come from backgrounds where they have personal firsthand experience with maybe not having access to the sorts of resources that they would want to have to be able to really develop, you know, in the way that they, that they and that women and young girls should, or should be able to access. So they created something that does that. So it was, it was really awesome. I love talking to them. They're both, and you'll hear in the interview, like they're both very, very passionate about what they're doing. They're passionate about issues surrounding education. Like we got on an education tangent and Mm -hmm. my work with um, my nonprofit organization that's education-based. It's like, there was moments where I was physically feeling the the fire. I'm like, yes, yes. Like our education system needs, you know, so much, uh, so much improvement. So we had a really awesome conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad too, that we are doing these little debriefs before we dive into the interview just to give everyone kind of a heads up of what's coming and to have a little bit of back and forth before we dive in with our guests well let's uh get into it yeah yeah yeah, no more I don't want to bury the lead for anyone so I'm excited for you guys to hear from our guests about what they're doing all right Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the People Making Things Better podcast, where we talk to you all about people from around the world, some of whom are probably in your backyard, who are doing things to make the world a better place. So today, I am super excited. So last episode, we had someone from my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio on. This episode, I'm even more excited because we we not only have one, but we have two people from my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, who are doing some amazing things. We have with us today Saida and Abria, who created an initiative called Be Beautiful Cleveland, and the Y-O-U in beautiful is capitalized. So they're going to tell you a little bit more about why, but ladies, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. Thank you. So let's just jump right in because I don't want our listeners to be able to miss anything that you guys have to say. So let's jump right in. So tell me a little bit more about Beautiful Cleveland. Tell me what it is, what do you do, and why is it important? Okay. 
So, Beautiful Cleveland transforms, enlightens, and empowers 10 through 18-year-old girls through specialized curriculum with an emphasis on fostering sisterhood. So that's really long, that's our mission statement, but really what we do is we facilitate weekly workshops in different parts of our city. Right now we're in a rec center in a impoverished neighborhood in our city where we deliver curriculum centered around personal development for the girls that we reach every week. Um, and the way that it works is that we have girls come from the different schools in the surrounding area, but then every week that they come, they bring their friends and they bring their cousins and that creates that bond of sisterhood while they're also understanding who they are and how they interact with their environment currently. And then they also learn skills and things to help them navigate in a mindset of growth. So that's what we do. That's awesome. What was the mindset that you were in when you created the organization? What did you see as kind of the, the big problem and the reason why something like this was needed? Um, when we first created Beautiful Cleveland, um, we were really keeping in mind the girls in the city of Cleveland that reflect us, like our circumstances, the things that we go through um, as young Black girls living in a single parent household, being raised by a single mother, just like all sorts of factors that are extremely common um, within the African-American community. So that's really what we were kind of going off of, like our experience, what we knew that girls our age that looked like us exactly what they needed, especially not having any sisters. Like we personally don't have like any sisters. So when we connected and this idea like was brought to us, like it was stemmed extremely from that. That's important. Like that having to having people that you can identify with and that can hold you up and things like that, like that sisterhood element is so incredibly important. And it's clear that the two of you like seem to have forged, you know, through the work that you do, that you're doing your own sort of sisterhood. So talk a little bit about that. Like how did you guys meet? Um, and how do you kind of leverage this like sisterhood that you have between you to do the work that you do? So we met in high school and I think when we first met, like as freshmen in high school, we didn't hang out immediately because we were just like in different circles and kind of in different things. Um, but I think around our sophomore year in high school, we were in the same program. It was like the Saturday program where you went and it's called Minds Matter. It's a national program. So we're there every Saturday and I'm like, this girl is so nice. Like she's always <laughs> nice all the time. Like <laughs> people just love being around her. Like this is just a great person. <laughs> so we just, we started hanging out and we started hanging out on Saturdays, but also like in school and getting to know each other more. And in that getting to know each other, our lives paralleled so much. Yeah. So yeah. we were both raised by single mothers, but with a strong community of our grandparents. Like she lived with both of her grandparents and her mother. And I also lived with my grandmother and my mother. So that, created a specific experience for both of us that was very similar. So having a generation um, that has different values than what is currently um, raising the children that are coming out of the places that look like us, but then also having our mothers having a younger perspective. And these two things coming together create really amazing children, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
obviously. Yeah. So, and I think another thing, um, like another way we really connected, like Saida mentioned, was just through our experiences. Like our experiences have been um, so similar. And I feel like as we've gotten older, especially while we were in high school, we kind of had to like rely on each other to get through those experiences. So I feel like we created, at the time, we may not have been aware, but we were creating the foundation of sisterhood for our organization before it even started. Yeah. So by yeah. the time we became seniors in high school, we created Beautiful Cleveland. It came out of a women's circle that we created along with some other seniors who were in our class and we we met every Wednesday and we had different professional women come in and talk about different topics so we had nutritionists come in we had nurses come in we got entrepreneurs to come in we're reaching out into the city and bringing these women to educate us and out of that that is where beautiful Cleveland birthed so at the end of our senior year we took the summer to plan an expo and in the fall of 2015 we had our first expo which showcased everything that we learned but also started to build that outward community in Cleveland um, for more sisters to come in and learn. I love that you guys you know being in high school and being so young that you felt com so compelled to start what you did and like how and seeing how it's grown over the years is amazing and I know sometimes like there are people that I work with that are you know much older and are still battling through some fears and some limiting beliefs when it comes to creating something that gives back and here I have young women who have just created something amazing and, and we're doing so, so young. So what was that process like? Did you have fears as you were going to create this and how did you overcome those? Okay, so first off, I believe that we both recognized the responsibility that we had. I think that that comes first. I think that that's above um, everything. We believe that if God plants something in your mind, if you have a vision planted in your mind, it's there for a reason. And you don't know how many people it could impact. So I think that that was a huge leap of faith, like planning yeah. <laughs> our first expo. Like we just graduated yeah. from high school. No money. No money at all. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were solely off our networking yeah. with other individuals yeah. to pull it together. And I think understanding the vision and being committed to it and having faith in whatever we put together is in good intention and we have and we have a we have a path. Like yeah. we know where we wanna go. We know exactly where we wanna go. And however we're gonna make it happen is how we're gonna make it happen. I don't think we were afraid. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that fear, I don't think that we had fear, but I must acknowledge that the thought itself of doing that at our age, yeah. what like is scary, like yeah. it's, it's the unknown. And of course, like our hearts were on fire and they still are, yeah. but being two people with their hearts on fire, wanting to impact as many people as we can, again, with no money like, yeah. is, it's like, how are we going to do this? Are, are girls going to show up? Are they going to enjoy themselves? Yeah. Where are they going to come from? Yeah. Are they going to, are they going to be in the space to receive the messages that we have for them? Like what, it was just so many questions and, you know, it, it wasn't a scary space. It was more so exciting because we were able to bring our vision to life. Like this, this thing that God gave to us, we were able to bring it to life. And 
looking back and knowing the impact that we've made and that we're still going to make is just incredible. Absolutely. It is incredible. And the both of you, even as we're talking, you, you the passion that you have for what you do just truly radiates. And I love that you are so like unapologetic about you know, how faith has played a role in you being able to, to launch this project and to do so successfully. So I know that you guys said um, initially that you were like, okay, we were doing this with no money. How did you find the resources to be able to not only start this up, but to keep it going as long as you have? So part of it is that some of it is self-funded. So starting something new and being, we were 18 black girls in Cleveland, we didn't actually have the capital to do this thing, right? So part of it was self-funded. I think our first expo we charged, we charged for tickets, like $20 or something like that, but people paid. So we were like, okay. But after our first expo, we kind of transitioned out of having the girls pay and having everything be accessible to them. So that's where more of the self-funding came. But also, we're not shy about asking for what we need because it's not directly for us. It's for the girls that will be coming and receiving the information and leaving feeling as though they have spent good time in a good space and they have tangible things that they can go and exercise in their lives. So we talk a lot. <laughs> we go meet with people. We make relationships no matter where we are um, right now five years in or six years now, we are understanding that everyone has information um, to give to us. So sometimes people don't give us money. Sometimes like our conversation with you, you give us guidance, right? Or you give us wisdom or you give us advice that, <laughs> <laughs> that then translate. No, that's real. real. That's really real. Um, everyone doesn't have money to give. Yeah. And like, I, I think that sometimes people really feel uncomfortable and they don't feel like they're able to give us anything. And I feel like that's where like the, the genuine, like authentic connections really matter. Like we're huggers. Yeah. We are true <laughs> huggers. Like if you, if you are able to give us money and that's not always the ask either. Like, what are you able to, yeah. to, to give? Not yeah. for us, yeah. not for us, yeah. but for the girls that we're serving, yeah. that you also have a responsibility to serve. Yeah. So if we aren't getting a check from yeah. some company. We also live in an impoverished area where there are other cultures that have these businesses yeah. in our community. So yeah. of course I'm going to come into your business yeah. and ask for the owner to write us a check yeah. because you're taking our money. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just what like that's just what it is. Like I feel like a lot of times um I don't think that we that it's that we have fear, but I feel like we don't recognize that all you need to do is ask. Yeah. Like all you literally need to do is go to like go to the go to the corner store. Like yeah. we went we literally went to a gas station yeah. and asked to see the manager. He let me write the check. Yeah. He let me write the check. <laughs> In the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> We've been blessed. Absolutely. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> I think you really illustrated it so powerfully, like just the, the power that there is in asking and not always assuming that people don't have anything to give. You know, sometimes if we're working with impoverished communities, we assume that they have nothing to contribute and it's us that bring in all the resources and all the value. But 
you know, that sort of a mindset doesn't really give the people that we're serving a chance to be a part of what we're doing, but it also kind of, I think in some ways denies a lot of like dignity to those people that it's just like, you know, we're coming in as like the heroes and the saviors, whereas it's like, no, there, there is a, a mutual exchange here. There's something that we can take from each other or learn from each other. And it seems like you guys have gotten really good at figuring out where those resources are in the community. That's awesome. <laughs> so one of the other things that I'm interested in, you've kind of walked us through a little bit of your journey in terms of how you found funding, which is, which is outstanding. How do you kind of fund your lives? Like how, how do you pay your bills and still do work that the world and your community desperately need? Charge the system. <laughs> we charge the system and not the community that we serve. Yeah. So we're, um, we're graduating college in May. Um, we've been in college this whole time. The bulk of our time, um, facilitating beautiful has been in college since we were 18. So since we graduated, since we graduated high school, six, well, it'll be six years at the end of the year. So, you know, in this time we've been in college and I know myself, I work a lot. <laughs> so I've had, you know, three and four jobs at one time just to have a, just to have a certain lifestyle. So, um, just piecing together different things. Some of that is like work study money. Some of that, I worked at Target for a while. I've done, I've taught, I've done, I've been a teacher for a part of that as well. So it's like, we're real people. Like we're regular people that go to work. Like my twin used to work at a car dealership, like for the bulk of college actually. So we have real jobs, like real jobs, school first, right? At, in class at 8 a.m out of class by like two or three o'clock, turn around and go to work until six or seven or eight, depending on what time we got off of work. And then once a week, we used to have like um, study dates where we would come together, do our homework, and then also do nonprofit things as well. So who do we need to contact? What venue are we securing for this thing? Where are we getting funding from? Like real adult things at the same time as juggling this these other things and now that we're nearing the end of college we have more time and space to dedicate solely to our nonprofit, and that's what we're transitioning into now but still right now like I go to we go to work tomorrow <laughs> so we're still very real people <laughs> that are working very very hard along with finishing classes and doing this stuff at the same time and, you know, I think that's part of the strength of your story. I'm going to brag on you guys for a little bit, like to have started something in high school, to have followed it through, through college, to be putting your own money into it. And, you know, as well as soliciting the money of others to be able to help. And then to have carried it to a point where now it's like, okay, we're at a point where we've got the education we need and we are you know, figuring out how it is we want to take this thing to the next level. Like that is such, I think it's an incredible testament to like the grit that you guys have and then the hearts that you have to serve your community. So we're, uh, Cleveland is lucky to have you. I think that a, a part of that is the, where you talked about the be beautiful and the Y-O-U being capitalized, like a part of our mission is to also get our girls to tap into what their purpose is. And while you're tapping into your purpose, like recognizing the responsibility that you have to the other, um, not even just sisters around you, but to the people around you, to the to the world around you, it's, it's all about finding that 
that responsibility because we all have it and we we all have to we have to I mean how are we gonna grow <laughs> like we have to pour into each other and I feel like that's where Saida and I our sisterhood came in because at a at such a young age we were doing that for each other but we weren't aware of it and we view our, our girls, like we tell them that we're all like flowers in a garden. Like we all have a responsibility to pour into each other and make our garden beautiful. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I see what you did there. We just had a full circle. <laughs> It was perfectly said. I yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself, really. So one of the other things I want to ask you before we let you go um, is, well, actually a couple more things I want to ask you before we let you go. You know, through Beautiful Cleveland, you work with young Black girls on personal development and really all of the beautiful things that you've talked about that you help these, these girls to develop and see and, and really become. But are there other issues that you guys are passionate about that maybe you would love to either work on in the future or see other people really take up the mantle to work on? education the system of education and we talk about this a lot so I went to college to be a math teacher so my, my major is math but my minor is education and I'm getting my Ohio teaching license and all that good stuff right and part of what we see in going into schools so not only do we have after school programs at um, different community places for um, more of like an open reach to girls but we also go into schools so schools hire us and have us come in and facilitate workshops as well in every single school that we've been in there's a deficit and even in the schools where the teachers look like the students right and in our minds it's like if i look like you and i'm your teacher should not should I not have a, a, a greater responsibility to make sure that you're okay, right? Mm -hmm. Not only in being a human as you are growing as a human, but also so that you have information that you need to have to succeed in this place that we live, right? Like we have a 10th grade girl. She's 11th grade? She's in 11th She's in 11th grade now. Mm -hmm. And she was like a freshman or a sophomore and we have homework nights. So she brought her homework and we were like helping her through writing and her her literacy is just is, is so low and and we were we were shocked but right? she has straight a's yes she has straight a's right now yes that is an oh. issue so like yes. this entire this say yes education bill that i once was really excited about yeah but then in the long run, who is this really benefiting right now? When we have young girls and young boys that live in the same areas that we live in that are going to school and just getting passed, yeah. that cannot read, yeah. that cannot write. But let's talk about the fact that they aren't teaching you how to write your signature anymore. They don't teach cursive. Yeah. Like people can't sign their name. Like people, this like is insane. Like, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Like no one's in the uproar about this. Like how am I going to be able to get my check without signing it? Like yeah. how am I going to be able yeah. to get these documents for me to go to school without having a Yeah. Like very basic <laughs> things, right? And we we feel as though the education system, it just and this is conversation that exists somewhere, yeah. but the education system is just not set up for the current people who are going through it. And that is in K 
through eight, that's in high school, that's in college, that's in graduate school. This is a consistent conversation that black people, right? Colored people, melanated people are not receiving what they actually need in this education system. And it's hurting them, right? Like there's new things being passed and there's new bills being passed. There's to say yes to education, which in theory is a great thing, right? But they're rolling out wraparound services in patches, right? Mm -hmm. What about the kids that are graduating right now? Their school isn't currently receiving those wraparound services. So how are they going to be able to do anything in the next six months when they go to college? Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to do anything, right? Mm -hmm. Or the other schools who aren't going to receive the wraparound services <laughs> until the end of the bill. Like, yeah. it's just, it's not inclusive and it's not really well thought out in a way that the melanated students are at the forefront because in the city that we live in, the majority of the people in our public education system mm -hmm. are melanated, right? Um, so when we think about long-term or we think about some other thing that lights us on fire, it is education. And that's a part of our personal development curriculum. We do have homework nights. Abria and I have been to college. We're able to write papers. We're able to do the math. We're able to do these things to support our girls, at least at the level that they are at. And then we also, if we don't know how to do something, we have built a network of women where we're like, hey, um, Miss Melinda, can you um, help our can you help our girl do this thing? Yeah. Or um, hey, Miss um, Williams, can you come and help her with science because she needs help with science right now? Mm -hmm. Like we have built this thing where the girls are constantly being supported. Yeah, and I think that another thing we're we're very passionate about this, <laughs> but another yeah. thing um, that I feel like is really frustrating is the structure of these schools they have none there there is no structure there there aren't any no they, they do exist i'm not going to say that there aren't any um educators that look like us that want to see their students succeed because they are they do exist we have we have plenty of them yeah. that we've experienced but there are also teachers who want to do something but aren't being supported by their principal that also looks like them that is an issue like that is a huge issue especially when the students that you're educating also look like you like that it's it's so many it's it's so many yeah it's so many like moving parts and pieces like i will i really wish that we could get like a slingshot and just knock these schools <laughs> down and just like re rebuild them and granted like we <laughs> we aren't we we aren't extreme specialists. We don't know everything, but we do know that you don't really break a student's confidence to get them to learn how to multiply. Like it doesn't like I feel like students like in school aren't being they aren't being lifted up right now. Like and, and maybe that's why they're just being passed. Like let me just pass you because it takes too much for me to build like put it in your brain that you're capable of doing it so instead of pushing you to do it i'm just gonna pass you so i don't have to deal with it that way our school can get more money we don't have to worry about all these tests because you hate taking these tests anyway i'm just telling you so you can remember long enough to fill in the correct bubble like it's just too it's too much i wish we could just knock them all down <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, and it's, you guys bring up a lot of really good points, and I feel like we could probably do an entire episode dedicated to, like, the school system and public education, because public education is in a disarray on a national level. Um, I've done a lot of research on that, and my background is, like, just very international, so comparing, like, our public education with public education in other countries, it's just a mess. And then I've also done a lot of research on the state of public education in Cleveland. And I mean, we are in a city that has at one point, I think the highest or one of the one of the highest rates of child poverty. So there are a lot of um, issues that are also factored into the way that we do public education. And we don't always take into consideration some of those limitations. Um, you know, there's a need for a lot of wraparound services. And I think you guys are right. We don't um, we don't adequately provide for that. And then I've had conversations, you know, with um, a, a friend of mine who's an attorney who was like, yeah, I, I'm astounded at the number of people who can't read. It's like they go to a STEM school where they're, you know, learning about the possibility of being an aerospace engineer, but they can't read. It's like, how does this work? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't yeah. make sense. But if you look at the structure, it also doesn't make sense. So it makes sense that it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so that's why we, we need yeah. the two of you fighting the good fight, you know, helping. And, and it, I think it does. It takes passionate people like the two of you who realized early that there was a need that wasn't being filled and have done all this amazing work to get to that, building coalitions of people who are interested in kind of dismantling this public education system and figuring out, you know, how do we make this work in a way where we are able to kind of promote the, the maximum capability of all of our students who who are a part of this system so yeah we we need you guys <laughs> yes. well ladies this has been so so good i feel like we have a lot in common just from some of the work i've done in the past but you know you guys are so passionate and like i said cleveland is very fortunate to have you I know that you're gonna to continue to impact girls all over the city and hopefully a model that can be used in, in different parts, different cities, different states. So where can our listeners keep up with what you guys are doing? Instagram at D-E-Y-O-U-T-I-F-U-L-C-L-E. Facebook is the same, Twitter is the same. Mm -hmm. All social media, check us out. Our Instagram is highly active. Our Facebook follows and our Twitter goes last. So part of our, part of us saying that everybody doesn't have to give us money, you know, like that's, that's something which we greatly appreciate if you would like to. But also part of it is sharing, being active with our page, letting us know what you see you need in your community or in your household if you're a parent or if you're a girl and you need some type of certain support, let us know. And to our, our listening audience, if you guys are interested in following along and supporting what beautiful Cleveland is doing, like they said, you can donate time, treasure, or talent. These are two very talented, very driven, very industrious young ladies. I've talked to Saida. We had, I think we had like an hour long phone conversation just about yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. And I was just so blown away and so impressed by you and continue to be blown away and impressed by the two of you. So it's a pleasure to have you on People Making Things Better. Go seek out these two young ladies, follow them, keep them lifted, donate whatever you have, time, talent, or treasure. And yeah, continue the great work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for listening. Till next time.